Hello, and welcome to the Teacher's Tribe podcast. I am your host, Maxine McFarlane, a Jamaican educator living in the United States of America, and I'm a nurturer of minds and hearts. In last week's episode, I shared the first part of the conversation that my administrator and I had. In part one of Connecting the Two Ships, Relationship and Leadership, we discussed her passion as a former elementary school teacher and her journey of transitioning into the role of an administrator. Kiwana A. Morgan is an experienced educator who has worked in the public education sector for the last 18 years. She earned a bachelor's in psychology and a master's in teaching from Hampton University. She works full-time as an assistant principal and has also ventured into the role of a digital content creator. In this episode, we talk more about her work within our school community, as well as how she impacts the wider community through volunteer work. Remember that you can find the link to the first part of our conversation and all other episodes at theteacherstribe.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Listen to more from this inspiring educator on the other side of this. Passionate teaching is what we do. The joy of learning brings the light too. For parents and teachers everywhere. Let your children how much we care. Rich experience I bring to you. Have you joined to share your passion too? transition into talking a little more about another passion of yours which is to empower the school community yes where's your mind on that yeah I think working in the school I had a a realization the other day I was like wow this I love my school and it's it's a tough school it never occurred to me that it's a tough school to work in but I've had some other conversations with other people you know it's kind of one of those things where you don't know any better (laughs) you Mm -hmm. don't realize and it's tough in a sense let me let me be clear explain just tough in that we have a lot of families in need um and just a lot of situations that are happening within the school just from a a one day to the next which plays into a lot of why you know my days are the way they are and so and i talked to some of my fellow friends who are also ap's and what's happening at their schools and it's not the same to the same degree their days are not like my days and their schools are not always like my school but just realizing that we have a lot of families who really want to help and really want to be involved. They really want what's best for their kids. They don't always, some of our parents don't always go about it the best way. Sometimes I don't think they know how to go about it the best way. They're dealing with their own, you know, lives and they have a lot going on. And so there's always, over time, it's, it's kind of been this, I want to teach our parents how to advocate for themselves and do so in a way that is effective. Like, I know you care for your child. Um, so how can we, how can you have this conversation with a teacher? You may be frustrated and upset, but let me give you a different perspective. Or let's think about this um, versus, you know, some of our families come in and they're already ready to, you know, <laughs> go to battle. It's like, wait, 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 before we do that, let's consider some other things. And I realize a lot of our families just don't, they don't have positive experiences with school. 
and it's fair. That's fair. I, I get it. Um, yeah, because the only phone call they ever get, Miss Morgan, is the phone call from you saying that little Johnny is in trouble. Right, right. And so I found, and even in my role, I have to make it a point to be able to have conversations of like just talking with parents. Um, and so, and I, and it's nice that I've been there now that I have built relationships with some of our families, especially the ones that have multiple children in our school. So I can just pick up the phone. Hey, Miss so-and-so, daughter, and we just chit chat and how's so-and-so doing and just being able to, to do that before I get to, okay, let me talk to you today about so-and-so and what happened today, but they trust me and I trust them. And that, again, it goes back to that relationship piece. I think a lot of our families they've dealt with experiences, systems, institutions where there has not been that trust. I am a part of a, and I recognize it, an institution where we're still trying to build that trust between school and home, school and families in some cases. And so I know it's important that I build that relationship. They know that I'm genuine and sincere. Um, and that sometimes takes time. And then once we kind of get to that point, then we can start to do, then do other things like the advocating piece. It's just really teaching parents families, guardians, just if you have a concern or you want to do something better, let's figure out how to do it within the frame of what you can do. Even if you don't have all the time, these are the things you can do to help your child. Um, so that to me is very important. First and foremost, I think it's the parents. And then the community, that's a, that's a loaded question because you've seen our, you've seen the school and what the community is looking like now around the school. And I get very passionate when people judge a school based off of looks and don't really understand what's happening in a school. And I think it's important and it's an ongoing conversation. It's an ongoing, it's ongoing work of just the outside community, not just looking at a school, looking at what a school looks like and making judgments not wanting to send their children to a public school because of whatever concerns or fears they have. Like, no, we're part of the community as well. We're here. How can we work together? Um, so that's a, that's another, I'm not there yet, but I feel like that's another, that's my next kind of um, another challenge or area of growth for me to get to that point right now. It's just working with our parents. And that in itself is an innovative path because I'm just thinking how many administrators go that take that path. I know a lot of administrators will work on the communication part, but that deeper level of building relationship is an added layer. And it made me think of the students now, because a lot of times principals and assistant principals are seen as the bad guy <laughs> because you're the one. When we get in trouble, that's, that's where we go to the principal's office. Have you thought about any way to shift that stereotype or is that an area that you've ever focused on? Um, that's a good question. I don't really know that I've ever thought of it that way. I, I, for the most part, I feel like the students in our building, they have a pretty good understanding because they, they know if I'm coming into the room and I'm talking to that child, they know, they know why I'm there. You know, they know they've done something. Even outside of that, once that child, because now the conversation that I may have with the student in the office, you know, we go through whatever, this is what happened, this is your consequence. There are conversations that I have a lot afterwards of, okay, you've had your consequence. We're done with this. We're moving on. I hope that, you know, these choices aren't made again. Um, so there's a lot of relationship building even in that piece of it. So that beyond that moment, they're not terrified of me all the time. Or when they see me, they're not assuming that I'm coming for them. 
and for the most part, even those students will still the next day, hey, Ms. Morgan, hey, Ms. Morgan. <laughs> um, and so I feel like they, okay. And in my head, I'm like, okay, they, they understand. It's, we have that, you know, understanding connection. And it's also very helpful when I have to then, if I have to go back and talk to that child again, especially some of our children that have demonstrate more difficult behaviors, that is so important. They need to know that the next day I'm not going to hold whatever happened against you the next day. Um, those are the, my hardest resets, I will say, are those moments. Um, the adults, I feel like, aren't that difficult. But yeah, the children, when they're just in full-blown whatever's going on, for me to the next day not remember that I had to chase you out the building and down the street, I need to separate that. It is a new day. You are not going to run out the building today. We are not going to have this, even if we're going to have it. But, <laughs> you know, they need to believe, I need to believe that we are okay. And with children, it's easy to just kind of, okay, this is what happened. Let's move on. Um, Cause I think that need that that's important. I, w- I should not do my job if I cannot, if I'm holding grudges against children, I just, that's just, you know, that's wild to me. Um, so no, I don't, I don't worry about kids, you know, um, see me as the bad guy. I, I, one of the students that, you know, our principal, he said, I always thought our principal was, was grumpy. And uh, I know he said, but I talked to him and he's really nice. He's he's a really, he's like a tech. I was like, yeah, you know, so I think it's just them getting to know us. And once they do, then they see that we're people. That relationship piece comes right in again. And that's why I usually try to make an extra effort when I have an instant child to bridge that gap with the administrator, because the history has always been, this is the person who gets in trouble. So whenever I have a moment of greatness or something to celebrate, I usually push real hard to get an administrator involved to say, this is my opportunity to brag on this child. I'm bringing this child to your office and it's not because this child is in trouble. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that those things just make such a huge difference. And it should be a general thing to take a moment to do that extra piece that you do of having that conversation with the child, trying to set him or her up for success, even if they end up doing the same thing again tomorrow. But knowing that, okay, this is your opportunity to turn over a new leaf, to start again, no grudges will be held because even, but that's how children operate. This minute they're complaining, they're bickering about a a classmate. And then by the time we get on the playground at recess, they're together again. Right. So they, they reset pretty easily when yes. it comes down to those yes. things. I feel like we have to learn from children. They teach us, they can teach us a lot. And you're right. They will love and love you and will trust you as long as you're doing the right thing. And they, they won't hold you right. They won't hold it against you or their peers. Exactly. All right. I know you're a multifaceted person. So let's talk a little bit about your volunteer work. I don't know how after getting through a full day of chasing children down the street and <laughs> and doing observations. And I, I, sometimes when I see in the hallway, I say, I'd love to see what her step tracker is showing now. It must be up to at least 20,000 steps with all the upstairs, downstairs, out in the bus loop, back in the building, chasing children down the street. Um, you still find time for volunteer work. I'm excited because I got a little peek at some of the work that you do. Tell us some more about your volunteer work in our community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the Gifted Arts is the organization that I volunteer with. And it's actually run by my brother and my sister-in-law. Um, so it's a family kind of thing and it started very organically very small and I had a lot more involved at the time I was was I teaching at the time or maybe I was an IF so I had more time to help and support so it's about arts and it's really bringing arts to 
Um, and we do focus on black and brown children, um, but all children are welcomed. But it's just bringing art and just really allowing them to just explore um, who they are. And um, we just talk about, you know, them transcending their limitations and really getting the students to not limit themselves because in the age group we focus on is middle and high school because that's about the time when you start you know your awareness of the world around you really kicks in and at also think of that time your fears anxieties those things can also kick in and so it's almost as trying to push them past that point so that as they grow mature into young adults that they are transcending their limitations and we do it through the arts and we just encourage a lot of artistic forms they meet on Saturdays so I'm able to help on Saturdays. so it's you know I do it on Saturdays um and go and just talk with talk with them because I'm not a dancer so I can't help in that way but I'm a huge support so I'll help with the digital piece of it like uh, recording taking photos or videos um talking with them we uh, prior to COVID we did a fashion show annual fashion show every year which was a huge fundraiser and it had grown, grown, and we were, you know, um, Marvelous Museum downtown to have a, um, a space that we would rent out on that Saturday and throw this huge fashion show. We would enlist the help of businesses around uh, the area to donate clothes. It was just, it, it became a thing. It was an event. Um, and I always enjoyed that because my biggest role was the backstage manager. And it was just a lot of fun. Of course, I would be a backstage manager. It was a lot of fun having a microphone and, you know, getting them ready telling them to be cool. it was it was hurting cats what i always tell people but in a, in a really fun way i can um, hear you i can hear you being the hype woman in the backstage too <laughs> i loved it i loved it because to watch them now of course we have um more young ladies than than men so i was on that side with the with the women and they it's of course it's, it's chaos but to see them transform, because our shows, we really try to be not traditional, get them in really unique makeup and just clothing that they wouldn't normally wear, get them out of their comfort zone. Um, and there were dance performances that would happen as well. And I just love watching them transform. And as they're standing there and they're nervous and they're like, oh my gosh, and oh my gosh, and oh, you look so beautiful. And like, you're going to be amazing. And I just love the encouragement before, during and after and just watching them and watching their confidence grow. And so just doing that over the years, I've watched some of them go from middle to high school to even college and they're coming back and helping support in their own ways. So it's just been, I love it. It, it definitely gives me, it's still my area, but it's not as structured and as, you know, I feel like I, we can just be a lot more ourselves, I guess. Um, and I enjoy that. And they inspire me. They encourage me because I watch some of our kids do things and I'm just in awe. And they do it with such ease and just no concern of what's going on around them or who's watching them. They just, this is what I want to do, therefore I'm going to do it. And it inspires and motivates me oftentimes. So yeah, that's what I do. So it's, it's not even, I don't even consider it volunteer work. It's just another, it's just what I do on Saturday is just a part of my life, but I, I enjoy it. Do you see any similarities or differences with, between that community and doing that kind of work versus our school community? Similarities a lot. I, oftentimes, and I wish, you know, our, our, the gift is was located closer to the school. Cause I would funnel a lot of families. Cause a lot of the families that are with the organization, the gifted, they were connected to the middle school and my brother's counseling. So he was getting a lot of the families and kind of that, that connection. 
Um, but yeah, it's a lot of families that parents are working. They just don't have the time always. And always the know-how of getting their child out of the house and doing just extracurricular activities and the importance of doing that. And so we're able to provide at a, a, low, a much lower cost, you know, a, a service, a space for children to come and, and be creative and be able to do things that are going to stretch them beyond just their everyday lives. So a lot of similarities, a lot of similarities with the kids of the gifted arts. There are, you know, we get kids in some situations, but we're able to pour into them and feed into them in a different way than what they would see in a school. And sometimes you can help even a little bit more because you don't have the, some of the stipulations that, you know, you have as a school administrator. Um, So yeah, it's a lot of similarities. So I feel like it's just a continued kind of part of what supposed to be here doing. Well, as an elementary level administrator, maybe somewhere down the road <laughs> in your next life, you may decide to do an, uh, a similar program for elementary age students, since we're, this one now caters to middle and high school. Yeah, we're working on, we do have some younger children slowly. I think a lot of it was space, because the space we were in was in Garden was a lot smaller. The space we're currently in now is a lot bigger. And of course, now that we're finally kind of moving out of what we've been in for the last year and some change, being able to enlist more families coming in. So we're looking to add on, you know, because, yeah, I want to start with the, with the younger and younger, get these little girls, third graders, we have second graders and kind of get them in there and just get, get started on them early. So absolutely, I agree. All right, well, share some information about this specific nonprofit organization. Is there a website or something? What are some of the areas in which maybe this organization might be able to use some support from the wider community? Absolutely. So, yeah, it's um, so the website is thegiftedarts.org. So it's all together. Um, and it's uh, Instagram, all the socials are the, the Gifted Arts all together. And on the website, there is a link for partners and supporters. The biggest thing right now is just Obviously, the financial support is important, but even just resources, people that can donate their time if they themselves have an art or an artistry that they want to share. That's huge. Part of what we do is community and connecting with the community and getting our kids to experience beyond their neighborhood. Um, and I love my brother. He, he made he told them, he said, you know, first you take over your street. So then you take over your neighborhood. Then you take over your city. And I just love just that thought of, we, and that's just that gradual, you know, over time you take over the world. Don't start with the world. Just start with your street, your neighborhood, your community. So really trying to get them to do that and see beyond their community, interact with people outside of their community and explore. So volunteers, um, for example, we land floors or I'm not laying floors, but I've been helping <laughs> supervise, not supervise, just there and supporting. Like you can do it guys. Uh, but like laying floors or, you know, if it's, if you have, if people have a business that they can help with resources, like there's always something that we need. Um, so definitely on the website, we have the information as far as, you know, support and supporters and what's kind of needed and um, supporting the United, um, the United Arts is very important as well uh, because that money does, the gift art is connected with some grants with that as well. So that helps that financial support. Just hearing that reminded me of this book we read in second, or we used to read in second grade called Me on the Map. Do you know that book? No, I don't know it. Where, where this, this child is drawing, this is a map of my room. 
and this is a map of my house and this is a map of my street and this is a map of my sit my community yes. we, we kind of connected to doing map reading in in social studies so it just came forcefully back to mind yes. that's a good way for them to connect all right so i'll leave that information in the show notes for those of you who want to support this nonprofit organization just to make a difference in the lives of the young people in this area i noted when you said some of the work that you did on in that organization has to do with taking pictures and that kind of thing. So let's talk a little about your video content creation. Yeah. I, I, I kind of suspected that was something you're into based on the work you do at school, always capturing things and even giving us directions with video clips. <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting because when we had to, not we, you had to pivot again and students were coming back into the building and you had all these stages set up for actors and actresses and what do you call it a cast call <laughs> <laughs> the cast call for people to come out into the parking lot to demonstrate how parents were going to pick up children and all of that it was i'm saying okay there goes the producer another hat but kiwana morgan <laughs> it, was, yeah, it was a lot of fun um so yes i at some point i just started taking pictures with the camera and really enjoyed it and then just and that's transitioned just into videos. And I have a secret. I I do usually don't share. I'm not ashamed of it, but because it's just a thing. So I have a, a YouTube channel where I talk about my hair. And some people know about it because they come across it, but I appreciate that they haven't said anything to me about it. <laughs> but when I started my life journey, which is a common thing, and people document their journey. And so I was like, oh, I'm gonna document this journey and I want people to um kind of see what it looks like because at the time I had not seen you know from like literally start to whatever point you're looking to get to just someone continuously updating so I was like I'm gonna do this this is what I'm gonna do so by doing the YouTube channel I got more into the video and the videography I guess you could say end of it as well and just I enjoy just the the recording just that whole process um, has been really exciting and you know I've inspired some friends to say hey I think I want to start a YouTube channel too like what can we do blah 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 I'm like okay sure <laughs> but that's just I think it's more of a creative thing it allows me to be creative and it allows me to try something different and just kind of flex skills that I don't get to flex during my day-to-day -day. Uh, so yeah I enjoy that I don't know that I'm trying to make it uh, I think it's more of a hobby I, I enjoy it I don't look for it to be something I'm trying to transition to a different career down the road but yeah, it's just something I enjoy and I'm able to support like the gifted with some of their content and doing some of the videos for them, you know, especially with us still kind of being doing it ourselves. It allows us to save money if we can amongst ourselves kind of help and support. And I think it's about an ecosystem. If I'm able to do something and my friend over here is able to do this, my other friend is over here able to do this, then we all should in theory be able to support each other based off of that. Exactly. Yeah. I was reflecting back to the beginning of our conversation where you mentioned that you, early on you were able to, you know, advocate for yourself and find your voice, maybe because of your unusual name yeah. <laughs> or just your, your life experiences. But I know when we talked earlier, you had mentioned something about amplifying voices. Yeah. So through the YouTube channel, what I've found, um, my audience, the demographic is very similar to me, Black women, I mean, because of the content. And so what I've noticed 
over time is the conversations that happen. So I'll post a video, you know, just to me, very random video. This is an update on my hair. And that's it. And then you'll look in the comments and you'll just see, oh my gosh, thank you so much for sharing this. I was um, wondering about this, or I was thinking about doing this, or this is how I feel about X, Y, and Z. And it just becomes more than just about hair. It's a conversation about who we are, conversations about representation. Um, my thoughts and what I'm working on on the channel is using hair as an opportunity to share different voices. I have a couple of videos where they're called hair stories. And so I have friends that have come onto the channel and share their hair story because there's so many stories behind hair. And so amplifying those voices, I had one friend in particular, she was so emotional afterwards because she just had never told that story, first of all, and then never told it on a public platform. So, I mean, it was such a thing to get her to get up there and to actually do it. But it was just a huge moment for her. So it just, it just was like, okay, so this is an opportunity. This is a space to bring other people in and let's have conversations that go beyond, you know, just hair, but what it means to us, what it has meant to us, the significance of it. And then as black women, there's another conversation to have about that as well that we can have. So I've enjoyed that and I want to get into it more. Um, it's just finding the time <laughs> to do it. So yes, any type of content creation takes time. I know that. Um, yes. Just hearing you talk about that hair story though, um, I was reflecting on my friend whose podcast episode came out recently. Her journey is the opposite of what you're describing, but it just brings forcefully to mind how this whole hair experience in the Black community is more than just a physical thing. It's not at all about appearance. It's it's a lot more deep-seated. In her experience, for example, she has an autoimmune disease that resulted in hair loss. So she went from long, beautiful locks like yours mm -hmm. to baldness. And that whole journey, that's a piece of the conversation we were having. And a lot of these women, she herself included, cited how difficult it was to get to the point where she was able to acknowledge it and now speak about it and feel beautiful in her skin, even with her bald head. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's, yeah, it's huge. It's huge. Even as children, I think about our experiences with hair. And just how that has had huge influences. So yeah, for me to do the channel and just to be able to talk about my experiences with hair, because you know, I I'm thinking, were you there as I was transitioning? Yes. yes. When, I, when I first joined, you you had much shorter hair than what I have in yes. my own natural hair now. And so yeah, and and the thing is, in which you may not know, there were days where I would come to school because that's a whole dynamic of being. A, a school administrator in a professional setting and you are in the process of locking your hair and I didn't go about it like covering it up I was just it was just out there and so definitely just sometimes I felt like oh my gosh they probably think I'm just losing it like I had I had a lot of thoughts in my head about it. I was gonna do it regardless but you know I, was like, I can only imagine what people might be saying behind my back about my hair um, but that was a that was a whole that was a that was a big thing for me, you know, to transition during that time and to be an administrator, and and to be very honest, knowing that if I went and tried to apply for a job, I could possibly not get it simply because of my hair. And during that time, that was a thought like maybe I'll just wait, you know, and not go or try to do you know apply for a principalship because I'm not gonna I'm possibly not gonna get it just based off the state of my hair unless I cover it up or you know mask it. And I wasn't gonna do that. 
because I didn't want to hide who I am. It's deep. That's a whole nother, <laughs> a whole whole nother, nother episode. Part. Okay, yeah, part two. I'll take you out of the talk from with the administrator to, to this more social setting conversation. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, man, yes. that's interesting, though, because I'm remembering that time, and I've always been someone who like seeing locks mm -hmm. and been tempted many times to do it, but I wasn't brave enough to do it. Mm -hmm. And just watching your journey, now I need to go find that YouTube channel because I didn't know maybe it might inspire me to finally jump <laughs> into the deep. <laughs> well, see, for you, you're familiar with locks. Even if you're not choosing to, you, you're familiar with the look, right? Mm -hmm. You know what locks look like. You've seen someone transitioning. But there are yeah, as, who are... as a Jamaican, I see a lot. Yeah. We have um, Rastafarian. I actually have a brother who's a Rastafarian and he his right. locks are now down to maybe close right. to his ankles. So. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I think, you know, for someone like you, I don't even know that I will even think about what you thought, you know, fence, but, you know, someone who's, who, who may not have that experience, that that is it's a different, it can be a different conversation um, with the hair. So, yeah, hair is a, yeah, hair is a big thing. It's a huge thing. That I think that's a whole, that's a, another huge part of me and my thoughts and reflection of who I am and what I think about and all of those things. My hair, it comes up. It definitely comes up on a regular basis. So. I'm, I don't know why I'm so surprised by that in, in the American culture. You know, I still sometimes, I'm still learning, you know, mm -hmm. I've, even though I've lived here for a while. Some things are, I don't really expect to still be a big deal in in a, in a society that seemed to be a lot more open than the one that I grew up in and more accepting of things that would be maybe frowned upon in my culture. So it's interesting to see that mm -hmm. even now in 2021, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we're still having these kinds of conversations. But in 2021. And I think I will say, I will say though, I do think the, the environment is different now. I think it, it, there is improvement, at least amongst Black Americans. I think it's, I don't want to use the word acceptance. I see locks seem to be more common. I see now more and it not be automatically associated with one thing. Um, it's just now can be seen as a hairstyle. But yeah, I just feel like um, just kind of growing up with family and just, just the history, I think, of hair in, in Black America has been, you know, it's been a history there. So yeah, I just had a, another thought um, I recently recorded an episode with my nephew and my oldest son about code switching. Mm. And as you were talking about this journey, I know code switching is predominantly associated with language and speech and so on. But even what you're describing now is a kind of code switching as an administrator in this professional setting and being, you know, working through these stereotypes of what you should look like and how you should wear your hair. And yes. It's been... Those waters are have been a challenge in some some ways for me to na to navigate. I will say I was I will say though being at my current school has been helpful because the community I see myself in the community and I think the community also sees themselves in me just in just looks. I would start with that. Um, so it has not been as difficult, but I know that if I was in a different school within the same district but on the other side of town it could be a lot different, a lot of a different experience. Uh, I think I've just been fortunate to just currently be in an environment where it's just not as shocking, you know, 
or mm-hmm. a parent walk up, oh, I love your hair, my brother's hair, da, da, da. You know, just having those like, you know, conversations. And, and it's something I do think about if I'm moving forward in my career, what is the plan? What what will I do? And I, not even just my hair. Do I shut down my YouTube channel? Do I just become this person I think they want me to be? Or do I just maintain who I am and just hope and pray that I'm moved into the path and the direction that I'm meant to be in? And I think that's something I definitely think about a lot. And I, at the end of the day, I want to be able to sleep and be true to who I am and sleep at night. So I'm just going to continue, you know, I kind of gauge like, do I feel like this is the right thing to do? Do I feel like I'm doing too much? Or do I feel like, you know, I need to not do the channel? And I don't feel that way, especially when I have these, you know, interactions and um, it's a very positive experience that I'm having. And there's a whole community that I didn't even know about, you know, that I'm able to tap into. And so, no, I, I feel like I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and wherever I need to be, it will be suited and set up for me in in the way that I am and not having to compromise myself. So that's a big thing. But to have those conversations with yourself, because we all go through the journey of second guessing, self-doubt sometimes, but to be able to talk yourself back from that place. I had the same experience going through starting this podcast, Mm -hmm. but I I did it for me because it was an opportunity for me to just, talk through it going through this crisis but then I found out now that there are some people who have said to me hey I listen to it I I just turn it on like I'm listening to the radio and I go back and play the episodes again because it's encouraging me along the way and I said well if it reaches one person that's good and when I was thinking we were at our school we were doing women's history month in March and I chose to to select you as one of the historical figures because I my mindset was we read about um, Harriet Tubman and um, Rosa Parks and all these historical figures and yes they they inspire us but I'm just thinking of a little girl in our building mm-hmm. seeing someone who is still around somebody who they see working every day they see somebody who can be inspiring. And this is where I kind of want to wrap up our administrator talk because you are making such a difference by representation in our building. We have a lot of diversity, yes, but I'm just thinking of that little black girl in fourth grade who sees you walk into her classroom and you're the administrator among the many of us who are walking through the building every day and what that does for her. And maybe back in your own experience growing up in this same school district, and seeing somebody who may have inspired you, whether it was that administrator that you mentioned before or somebody else. So I just want you to share your final thoughts on the importance as we're talking about um, this, the importance of representation in the community, especially because you're out there working and serving this community. Mm, it is necessary. It is necessary. My my kindergarten teacher was a, was a Black woman. And so it was from day one. I loved her. I loved her. And um, so I think for me, it's just seeing that and learning to read from this person that looks like me. And, you know, she cared for me. I, she, she and mom, I could remember seeing she and my mom, I guess, having maybe conferences or talking and her, the familiarity that they had, it was just, just, oh, they're, they're friends and they like you. You know, I could see that positive dynamic between my teacher and, you know, my mom. And um, so, yeah, I think representation matters. My mom did a really good job 
and I need to talk to her about this, but she did a really good job advocating. If there was a teacher, a black teacher in the building that she wanted me to be, she would advocate for me to be in that class. Now, as I got older, she didn't as much, but I do remember my younger years, there was some advocate, you know, her advocating to put me in spaces where I'm seeing um, faces that look like mine. It matters because when I reflect back, as you were talking, I'm reflecting back on these faces that I see and seeing women that look like me in positions, it encouraged and motivated me, even if it was just a little small interaction. So I do think that's important. And I do recognize for me that that can be the case as well within our building and how important that is. And that matters to me. And I, I love that. I love just be just to be here and say, I'm here. And, you know, you can be here with me. You can be past me. You know, we can, you know, that's, and I'm here for that and here for you. And I'm able to connect with a lot of our little girls as well, especially our fourth and fifth graders, because they're getting a little bit older. We can sit down and have those conversations. So yes, representation matters. It is important. And for all, for, I'm not even speaking just for one group. It's for everyone. You know, our young men need to see other men. Mm-hmm. Um, it, they, it, it, it needs to happen. So that's why I'm always pushing if you are interested in education, I know, you know, people always talk about the money. Yeah, No, there's not a lot of money. And yes, it's hard. But that represent, representation piece is huge. And if, if you can come into a school and have just that positive influence, we would love to have you. <laughs> I feel like I'm, a, I'm like a commercial. <laughs> come, come, we would love to have you. The pitch. Give them the pitch. <laughs> yes. I hope you're out there um, when they're hiring this summer. You 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 already have your elevator speech ready for <laughs> <Yes>. them. <laughs> but your your representation transcends just those those girls in the building because there are other maybe BTs looking on to say you know, Ms. Morgan is there as an administrator and that representation matters too for those who aspire to, to leadership. Yes, yes, I agree. And anytime I hear anyone saying, I would love to, I jump right on it. You know, I've already done that with you. As soon as, because I think that's, I do think that's my, that's one of the things in life. And I tell people, that's why I'm an educator is being able to look at an individual and I literally can see you down the road. I can see you know, you in a studio with the professional microphone, I I can see it. And so I think for me, that's why I'm in education. Same thing with the children. Like I can see you over here doing whatever, you know, based off of what I'm seeing right now. And so it's the same thing with our teachers. If I can see something and it's something of good work, you got to go do it. You got to go do it. Let's go. Let's get it. Let's do it. So um, I do think that's a part of what I'm here for and what I'm supposed to do. I really appreciate that about you because I've always battled with those standards and things on our evaluation instrument. And it's good to know that I can say, Miss Morgan, look at this one. There's no way I'm a classroom teacher. How am I going to get this checked on my box? And, you know, you always find a way to point and say, okay, maybe you should try this. Maybe you should sign up for this committee or maybe you should do that. And it really, it really helps. And it's not all for me. It's not about getting the boxes checked. But at the same time, it's a part of my whole reflective journey because I may not aspire to be an administrator. I'm not aspiring to be a grade level chair. But at the same time, I still want to make an impact and I still want to support my school community. And if I get a checkbox along the way, it doesn't hurt because that's a part of my whole evaluation process. Yes. But it's it's good to have that kind of perspective. Yes. Yes. You, yes, you have, yes, you impact. I mean, 
what you do on a daily basis, the impact is huge. But I think even when you and I have talked just um, with all of the work that you're doing, it, it, it just blows my mind. Every time you come out with an episode, I'm just amazed at what you're doing and how you're very humble about it. And you're just very like, ah, you know, but it's just like, oh my gosh, this is, this is amazing. Like, it's amazing to me just what the work that you're doing. And I think we have to sometimes redefine what leadership is and we have to redefine, I guess, what we think is I'm, you know, changing the world. Like you're literally changing the world. Like literally you're doing the work. Um, there are people who talk about it and there are people who dress up and play it. And then there are the people who are actually doing it. And so I think it's within the building getting teachers such as yourselves recognizing that you, you're, you're doing it. You're actually living that leadership and what leadership is. And it is not always standing up in a suit or, you know, presenting in front of people. And to me, that's really not leadership at all. It's really the people who are doing the work. Wow. I was going to ask you to give me a summary, but you already did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. That gave me so much, so much joy because, you know, sometimes I, I, I second guess myself. I said, you're sitting on a master's degree in educational leadership and you're not using it. But seriously, I don't want to be an administrator in that role, you know, so it's good to get that affirmation from you that I am still leading, even though I'm not like an AP or anything like that. And honestly, I don't know, as as I evolve, you know, people say, don't you want to be a principal? I'm like, "Uh, I don't know that that's going to get me to what I want to do. I'm realizing more and more, I feel like you're able to do more honestly sometimes than what I'm able to do. Um, just because there's some, just, I feel like sometimes there are these parameters and, you know, limitations that I have and I'm working through it. I'm gonna find a way around it. But yes, I a hundred percent think that leadership happens in a lot of different places and a lot of different ways, a lot of different faces. And I'm learning, like, think about the people that you admire or the people that just in your day to day that you admire um, that you're like, oh, I really like what they're doing. Chances are they're not standing up, you know, somewhere very glamorously being a leader in the traditional sense. And that they're probably doing work or getting things done. I think we have to redefine what leadership is. Even teaching our kids that as well. That you can lead where you are within your space. It doesn't have to be millions of people. If we're all leading in our pockets, just imagine collectively what we can do. Because one person can't do it all. And one person can't do it all in front of everybody. You know, it's those of us in my school, can I lead and lead effectively in my school or in my classroom, in my household? I mean, that to me is what leadership is and it's everywhere. I agree. I agree. Well, it's time for my three questions. But as I look back at my three questions, I feel like we've talked about almost well, at least the first two, but I'm going to ask anyway, maybe in a sentence or two, if you can still respond to it, even though we've hit on a whole lot of um, what's related to them. So question number one, what are you passionate about? I'm passionate about relationships, building relationships, connecting with people and and making an impact. Or conversation testify of that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> all right question number two what greatness do you believe you bring to the world um I think the greatness that I bring is maybe an energy I, I'm able to bring in, an energy to a space to an individual um that hopefully is positive and will um allow for 
people to be them, their true selves and to grow and be their best selves? That's a hard question. <laughs> no, but you know, once again, you gave the main idea and the supporting details started popping into my head. It's, I guess I have a teacher mind like that. But I'm just thinking uh, you're called upon to make an announcement in staff meeting. And as soon as you stand up and open your mouth, you know, we're at the end of the day and every, I'm talking about pre, I'm thinking pre-COVID times when we're all assembled in the media center and we're all sitting there watching the clock take to get in our cars and leave the building. And then you stand up with that energy and you're like, hey, everyone. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> something's coming. And it's just an announcement, but you're right. It shifts, it shifts the tone of the room after we've been laboring all day. Yeah, I appreciate that. So it's a good one. It's a good one. All right, and question number three, who or what inspires or motivates you? Um, I will go with a who. Um, I will say, love my, both my parents dearly, and they have had a huge impact. I'll say my dad. He is such a calm force, and he just, he, he I think the, the resilience that I have, the ability to shift my, my and reset, comes from my dad and I just appreciate him so much. And he's, he is not as lively as I am. He is super just quiet and just, you, you know, when you meet him, everyone loves him, but when you meet him, he's just super chill, but he will drop these gems and they're the most simple things that he'll say to me. And it's like, whoop, okay, that's impact. But beyond that, how he treats people, hands down, everybody has nothing but amazing things and amazing stories that I don't even know about. I'm, recently come across some people sharing, did you know that your dad did that out of that for me? And to hear some of the things that he's done for people, I definitely know that's where I've gotten how the importance of treating people and how to treat people well and treat people with respect. Um, so that I would say is someone who's had a huge influence on me then and now for sure. All right. <laughs> it has been such a joy, such a pleasure to spend this time and share this space with you today, Ms. Morgan. I know we have little sidebars during our post-conference time, but to, to get a whole chunk of time, <laughs> this is <laughs> just sit and and it wasn't it wasn't during school time. It, yes. it was <laughs> when we're more, we're more relaxed. Yes. And yeah, it has been a pleasure having you here. And I'm and I'm sure my audience will be encouraged and be inspired by your story too. So thanks again for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Another interesting episode has been added to the collection in the Inspiring Educators series for this season. I really appreciate that Miss Morgan took time out during spring break to be a guest on the podcast. This conversation with my assistant principal left me with a few important takeaways. One, building positive relationships is a vital part of being an educator or administrator. I must add that the same is true for parents and, and other caregivers. Two, it is possible to use our passions as effective tools to support and encourage others while making a difference in our community and society. And three, leadership is not only confined to those who are appointed to prominent positions, but we can effectively lead within our sphere of influence. In other words, you don't need a title to be a leader. I am impressed by Ms. Morgan's sense of self, willingness to encourage the strengths that she identifies in others, 
and her stance to amplify voices in order to bring awareness to issues worth highlighting. I really like how John Quincy Adams identifies a leader in the following quote. He said, If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. I believe that is what Miss Morgan does. And as such, her leadership is evident by her work and not merely by her position or title. She has found a way to connect the two ships, relationship and leadership. And I hope that her journey has inspired you to do the same in whatever position of responsibility you are in. Until next week, walk good and one love. For the joy of learning, subscribe to the teacher's strike.